Before I share, I want to promote uh, three books that I want to encourage you to invest in. I think it will help you. I think it will help your life. So the first one is Tim Grant's book, Living Without a Safety Net. Especially those of you who want to learn how to walk by faith, live a life of faith, and enter into the supernatural. I encourage you to get this book. We have experienced Tim's ministry, and we have been blessed by Tim's ministry. Amen? Amen. So I want to encourage you to invest in this book and uh, let the Lord bless you through it. The second one is Sharon McLean's book, Business Pearls. Sharon is a very successful businesswoman. I'm not just saying it. She has done so well. She does different types of businesses. Um, and uh, I think this will just strengthen you. And I think you can use these pearls as prayer tools where you can pray them into your life. Am I right? Yes, right. So I want to encourage you to get it, invest in it. It will bless your life. And then the third one is the one that I wrote on the prayer life of a disciple. Um, I want to encourage you to get it if you have not already um, purchased it. Specifically, today what I'm going to talk on is living a fasted life. There's a chapter on fasting on there and that I think will help you. Uh, I'm not really going to touch on what is in the book so that you get the book. All right. <laughs> Um, but uh, I want to encourage you to invest in these resources. Um, I think they will bless you. Um, let's pray. Father, thank you for today. Thank you for the way you have been ministering to us through this weekend, um, culminating today. Father, we are grateful. We ask for fresh oil upon us. Thank you for the way you are pouring your oil upon us. But we ask for fresh oil again, especially on our hearts and on our minds so that we'll hear what you are saying and we'll apply it in Jesus' name. Amen. Uh, before I share, I want to just give you a few guidelines, especially as you leave here. I think yesterday was a wonderful service. Um, uh, in fact, the last two days have been a wonderful time. Um, would you not agree? It's been amazing. But one of the things that you have to be very careful of when God is doing something amazing in your life, is the little irritations that the enemy will try to bring your way to steal what God is doing in your life. And often it comes in a very natural guise. So you think it's not spiritual. Maybe your brother may say something you don't like. Maybe your friend may just irritate you with their snoring. Maybe, I don't know, I don't know. Maybe um, it might be just something that somebody does or somebody says or something inconsiderate. But it really vexes you. Anyone know what I'm talking about? Have you experienced it already? Who's experienced it already? Yeah. Yeah. So, um, but I want to say to you, don't be discouraged when that happens. Because often when that happens, you say, oh, no, all that God has done is now lost. How is it lost? It's not lost. You just got upset. It's not lost. Amen? Amen. And also, God is not schizophrenic. When he speaks to you a word, he doesn't change his mind. And often prophecies are given to anticipate some of these things. So when you, when you um, find that, maybe you found it already, um, or you find that um, things haven't, um, maybe you, the way you behaved, especially the way you behaved, 
after you were on such a high, was really low, just get up and move on and thank God for your life. Amen. Yes? That's as simple as that. So I want to encourage you with that because I know how these things go. And even after you go back to your homes or go wherever you're going to go from here, um, I encourage you just to remember this simple advice that when things seem like it, you're, getting, you're experiencing the opposite of what you experience here, what God has deposited in you cannot be robbed from you unless you give it up. And don't give it up in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, so we're going to talk about living a fasted life. I kind of find this funny um, because, you know, we're talking about fasting. And um, um, when the Holy Spirit first impressed this on my heart, I said to myself, I need to lose weight because otherwise I'm not going to look like, but I haven't lost any weight. So here we go, <laughs> you know. So, so um, but the good thing about fasted life is it doesn't matter who you are. It doesn't matter how big you are, how slim you are, how tall you are, how strong you are how dedicated you are, everybody can live a fasted life. 2 Corinthians chapter 12 from verses 7 to 10. And I encourage you to particularly um, come back to this teaching, um, especially those of you that really want to enter into an open heavens lifestyle where you are a carrier of the manifest presence of God. In 1982, I came to know the Lord, the first week of June. I don't remember exactly what day it was because I didn't make a note of it. But it was the first week of June. And when I came to know the Lord, I hated being a Christian. That's the best expression I can give it. I found being a Christian such a tremendous challenge. I hated the fact that I was now completely aware of right and wrong. Before I gave my heart to Jesus... I could swear, I could cuss, I could watch pornography, do anything. I was only 16, by the way. It's not like I was even like 35. I could do all these things and not feel any way. I felt good about my life. Then I gave my heart to Christ in my bedroom. In fact, the Lord encountered me in my bedroom. And my conscience became alive. And I immediately knew what right and wrong was. And I hated it because there was so much bondage in my life. There were so many things in my life that was there from the generational line by my own choices and so forth that the enemy had access to, even though I'd given my life to the Lord. And so for the first two years of my walk with the Lord, it was horrible. I didn't like being a Christian. I didn't like going to church. I didn't have the kind of testimonies that you guys have where... Everything becomes beautiful when you know Christ and you feel the love of God. I couldn't give a rip about the love of God. <laughs> um, I didn't even have a concept of the love of God. And that's the truth. I'm just telling you, this is my testimony. Everybody has their own journey. Some of your testimonies are so wonderful and so beautiful. And thank God for your life. But this is my ugly testimony. Now, I'm, I'm going somewhere with this. Now, around 84... I don't know, those of you who were saved in the 80s, you remember there was this prayer move that began in the 80s. I remember Larry Lee, anyone remember him? Yeah, yeah. Um, and he was championing one hour prayer a day. And he was very powerful. I mean, the 80s was a move of prayer and praise and worship. That was the 80s. And um, during that time from 84, the Holy Spirit began to really deal with me about prayer. As a new believer, a young believer, not a new believer, because I'd been in the Lord for two great mighty years. 
in horrible years. <laughs> and he began to talk to me about prayer. And I had no grace for prayer. I had no grace for prayer. I, I tried to pray. At best, I'd master a five-minute prayer a day, which was awesome. Five minutes felt like five hours every time we prayed. I had no grace to pray. And as for fasting, you have to be kidding me. That wasn't even in the equation. And then one day, my pastor announced, and by the way, going to church, I didn't like going to church. I didn't like going to church. I'm just telling you, I had no grace for any of these things, or so it seemed. So to go to church was a chore. How many of you know what I'm talking about? Okay, only a few in this place are bold enough. To go to church was a chore. I hated going to church. At times, I'll be going to church, and it would feel like I was wade, wading through water. Literally, it would be like that. Again, now I look back, I realize it was all the demonic things that were oppressing me. And when I'd go to church and I'd be in church, I couldn't wait to get out of the church. That's how it was. For about two years, that's how it was. 84 comes, the Spirit begins to speak to me about prayer. And one day I'm sitting in the service and some guy from America is preaching about praise. Preaching is really good. It's about, it's a, the church was, um, could hold about 200 people and there was about 15 or 20 of us there in the midweek service, kind of youth midweek service. I don't know what it was. But anyway, so it was preaching, and then suddenly this thought comes into my mind. You have the spirit of prayerlessness. And like a light bulb, I went, oh, okay. That kind of, that makes sense. Lord, take away the spirit of prayerlessness and give me the spirit of prayer. And then I carried on listening. Little did I know that that prayer changed my life. Something began to happen to me where I still struggled to pray, but now I had a, a, there was this motivation to aim to pray one hour a day. So between the whole year of 85, I made this goal. I'm going to pray one hour a day, and I never did. I prayed at best 50 minutes a day. I mean, one hour a day, I never did it. I, and even, it wasn't like one continuous hour. You've got to be kidding. It was 20 minutes in the morning, 20 minutes in the evening, 10 minutes in the afternoon, and let's hope for the best, for the rest of the 10 minutes. That was the plan, that somehow it will, it will become one hour. For one year, I struggled this way. And then around 86, before I went to Polytechnic, I decided to go to the prayer room. It was a Sunday after service. And I said to myself, I'm going to pray for two hours. And I'm not coming out of this place until I pray for two hours. Those two hours felt like 2,000 years in the wilderness. It was horrible. I, I did all the praying I knew. Rolled on the floor, screamed, cried, slept, woke up. In two hours, all things happened. The whole universe changed. But then, and, as I, and I was watching the clock. I was clock watching. It's not like lost in the spirit business. I said, I'm going to pray for two hours. I'm going somewhere with this. And then, five to two. No, five to two hours. Not five to two. Five to two hours. I thought, hey, we're nearly there. And then, I prayed, 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 prayed. prayed. Still, like, still felt like five to two. Three to two. One minute to two hours. 
30 seconds. Now I'm like 29, 20. <laughs> and then I forgot, and it was like 10 past two hours had gone. And I carried on praying. And then something happened, and I, le- I came out of the prayer room, and I was changed. And then from that day, I began to be able to pray for one hour and more every day. And then with the fasting thing, I started to fast. When the fa- pastor called the fast, the first time I ever fasted properly, like a, a, a fast. No, I didn't eat, because in Ghana, many times I didn't eat. And um, it really was fasting, but I, that wasn't real fasting. But this time, I decided not to eat because of Jesus. And it was horrible. I'm not joking. It was horrible. And it was horrible. And around 4 o'clock, I went to the, the cupboard where the biscuits in my, my mom's house was. And I said, why? Why? Because I was afraid if I break it, God could strike me dead. That, that's, that's, that's the way I... It's not true. But that's what I thought. Maybe I shouldn't tell you that's not true. No, but that's what I thought. So... I even fell on the floor, rolling in anger and agony. God, this is not right. And then that also passed. It was till six. It wasn't like 40 days. Just till six, you know. And then I started fasting. 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 And then I went to Wales. And then something happened. I kept fasting and praying. And I began to feel the manifest presence of God in 86. From that day till today, almost every single day of my life, I feel the manifest presence. I'm not, I sense his presence. No, in my physical being, I feel his manifest presence. But not only that, I began to hear God with a lot more clarity. I began to sense things about people that seemed uncanny because what was happening was I was changing. Now, I'm saying that to tell you that God wants to do something for us. He wants us to enter into a fasted life. So that's what we're going to talk about. So that's my testimony and my journey into the fasted life. 2 Corinthians chapter 12 from verse 7 to 10. Paul the Apostle begins to say something. He says, And lest I should be exalted above measure by the abundance of revelations, a thorn in the flesh was given to me, a messenger of Satan to buffet me, lest I be exalted above measure. Concerning this thing, I pleaded with the Lord three times that it might not depart from me. And he said to me, My grace is sufficient for you, for my strength is made perfect in weakness. Therefore, most gladly, I will rather boast in my infirmities that the power of Christ may rest upon me. Therefore, I take pleasure in infirmities, in reproaches, in needs, in persecutions, in distresses for Christ's sake. For when I am weak, then I am strong. What I'm going to teach, I first really learned it through the ministry of Mike Bickle, IHOP. So I learned a lot of this from there. And then obviously you, you learn your own as well. All right. So what is a fasted? life. Fasting, really, biblically speaking, is the deliberate abstinence from food or a reduced choleric intake as part of our expression of worship to God. That's really, in the Bible, what fasting is, because at times I hear people say something like they're fasting Facebook, they're fasting 
um, watching television, and that's fine. But in the you know, you know, fasting the phone, that's okay. But in the Bible, in the Bible, the New Testament and the Old, fasting is the deliberate abstinence from food or a reduced caloric intake as part of our expression of worship. It is a choice we make to become weak in ourselves in order for God's strength to be expressed through us. It is we choosing to be weak so that we can rely on God. That is the crux of fasting. That's what fasting is about. The fasted life, however, goes far beyond the abstinence of food. It is, it is um, abstinence of food for sure, but it goes beyond that to embrace giving, serving, praying, and blessing. And this is outlined in the Sermon of the Mount from Matthew chapter 6, 1 to 21, where our Lord speaks about these different aspects to the fasted life in giving, in prayer, in how we serve, and in how we speak, and so forth. And uh, every one of us, as New Testament believers, are called to a fasted life. We are called to a life, in fact, to become a Christian, in one sense, is the invitation to a fasted life, where you choose to rely on Jesus regardless of your own strength, in one sense. And I want to say this, especially to those of you who, like me, struggle in prayer. Now, by the grace of God, even though there is a little bit of grace in prayer upon my life, I still struggle in prayer. I still find every day a new journey, a new challenge, because you cannot put God in a box. You cannot, you know, I, many times when I've come before the Lord, I say, Dad, here I am again. We're here again. Look at your servant. You know, you know, we don't feel like this, you know. And honestly, I'm not lying. By the grace of God, on average, I spend between three to five hours in prayer every day. With all the other things I do, I do by the grace of God. But I'm telling you, I still struggle in prayer. I still struggle. I still find it very challenging at times, um, even though we have changed a lot. So why is the fasted life important? Why is it necessary for us, especially if we've been talking about in the day of his power, why is that important? Because without you learning to trust in God's power, God cannot exhibit his strength through you. The paradox of God's kingdom is the more you think you know, the less you actually know. The more strength you think you have, the weaker you become. And you, your strength only comes through weakness. That's why he said to Paul, now Paul gives this narrative about how he was experiencing such tremendous revelation on a level superior to even the 12 apostles of the Lamb that God, in his mercy, sent him a thorn in his flesh. Now, we don't know what that thorn is, except we do know it was a messenger from Satan. Now, scripturally, 
Thorns in flesh were normally external attacks of some kind. Now, some theologians reckon he was sick in his body. I personally don't know because I wasn't there. Um, but what I do know is that he had the thorn in his flesh because God wanted him to remain humble. And he prayed about this thing three times. He knew God had sent it. God had allowed it. Not God had sent it. God had allowed it. And it was a messenger of Satan. So it had a demonic dimension to it. And he prayed three times. Now, it's not our microwave prayers, Lord, take it away, one. Lord, take it away, two. And Lord, take it. No, it's not like that. He probably was intense about it. He probably fasted. He probably sought God. And on three separate occasions, he was told, my grace is sufficient for you. My strength is made perfect in weakness. And so Paul said, when he understood this reality, he learned to glory in weakness. Things that expose this weakness. Sometimes our family situations expose our weakness. Sometimes our ministry situations expose our weakness. Sometimes our relationships with loved ones expose our weakness. It's interesting. He learned to glory in it. You know, as a ministry, we have a weakness. Do you know what our weakness is? I'm going to tell you, you might even laugh. It's not having a building. All the things, that's one of our weaknesses. We have many other weaknesses, Pastor John can tell us. But, um, but, but isn't it interesting how God has done things through us in spite of it? Isn't that interesting? Now, in this study, I'm going to focus on the fasted life as it applies towards food coupled with prayer. So, I want to talk to you about becoming intentional, regardless of your age. And when you are young, you have a greater opportunity to train your body because your body is a lot stronger and a lot more adaptable. I remember hearing a a 35-year-old prophet saying this when I was in my early 20s and thinking, yeah, whatever, until I became 52 this year. I'm 52, and then I realized the man was right. As you get older... It becomes harder. Things that were, am I right, Tim? As you get older, I mean, when I was younger, to fast three days on water was like, not a big deal. How many of you older ones do three days on water regularly? Don't be even trying to lie. <laughs> when I was younger, fasting on water till six o'clock in the evening wasn't a big deal. But man, bishop or no bishop, it's hard. Yeah. Why? Because your body gets used to a certain way. So I want to encourage you, you younger people, to learn to give yourself to fasting. One man of God said we should call it slowing, not fasting. There's nothing fast about it. Because when you are fasting, everything slows down for you. (laughs) Now, There are two primary outcomes of fasting. One is to move the hand of God, which I refer to as breakthrough fasting. It's to move God's powerful hand. It's to move the power of God. And two is to manifest or reveal the presence of Jesus in our lives, which is referred to as the bridegroom fast. Now, both of these outcomes for fasting are important, but the fasted life is more about the bridegroom fast 
because that is the kind of fast that helps us to draw closer to Jesus and become strong in our faith in God and grow in intimacy with God rather than just fasting to have an outcome. Now, don't get me wrong. I believe in fasting for outcomes, and we do that as a church. But what I'm talking about is where you begin to fast for more of Jesus. Now, fasting does not give you brownie points with God. It doesn't make God love you more. It doesn't cause God to favor you more even. It doesn't. What it does is it positions your spirit to receive what is already yours and to express what you already have. But it does not make you a better Christian, quotes and unquotes. Because, like someone said, it was prayer and fasting people who killed Jesus Christ. Fasting that is not grace-empowered will cause you to become a religious fanatic. It will cause you to be bold in self-righteousness. It will cause you to be confident in folly because of the fact that you are able to deny yourself in certain things. Look at the religion that is the most fanatical on the earth today. What are they known for? Every year, fasting that many of us Christians will struggle with. Mind you, they do eat a lot in the morning and in the night. But anyway, let's just move on quickly. So, let's explore the bridegroom fast in detail. Mark chapter 2, verses 18 to 22. The disciples of John and of the Pharisees were fasting. Then they came and said to him, our Lord Jesus, Why do the disciples of John and of the Pharisees fast, but your disciples do not fast? And Jesus said to them, Can the friends of the bridegroom fast while the bridegroom is with them? As long as they have the bridegroom with them, they cannot fast. But the days will come when the bridegroom will be taken away from them. Then they will fast in those days. No one sews a piece of unshrunk cloth on an old garment. Or else the new piece pulls away from the old and the tear is made worse. And no one puts, it, puts new wine into old wineskins. Or else the new wine bursts the wineskins, the wine is spilled, and the wineskins are ruined. But new wine must be put into new wineskins. Now I want you to note the following things from these verses. One, fasting is a part of a life of discipline and spiritual fervor. See, he said the Pharisees of John, the Pharisees were fasting, and so were the disciples of John the Baptist. In those days, people who had some kind of um, rabbi or teacher, part of the disciplines involved fasting. And I, I, I really want to encourage you as a child of God to train yourself to fast. Now, you can miss a meal, you can miss two meals, you can go through the whole the whole day without eating. There are different ways. In the book, um, The Prayer Life of a Disciple, it's quite useful. You will, you will learn some tips there. But if you want to be zealous for God, fasting is a great vehicle to employ to help you. Secondly, fasting is required of those who need a fresh revelation of our Lord Jesus. Verse 19, he says, can the friends of the bridegroom fast while the bridegroom is with them? 
As long as they have the bridegroom with them, they cannot fast. Now, you could say, well, I have Jesus, so I don't need to fast. You could say that. Or you could say, I need more of Jesus, so I want to fast. Which one would you prefer to say? Of course, we always need more of the Lord. So, our Lord here tells us that when he is taken away, they will fast. And so, the more we are finding that we need more of Jesus, and, uh, and, and we realize that, actually, you know what, Lord? I'm not happy with where I'm at right now. This is when you can employ in the bridegroom fast. At times, you'll find in your prayer life, you're going for a while, you're enjoying a certain way of relating to God, and then you hit a ceiling. You try to pray and it's not happening. This is where at times employing the bridegroom fast is helpful if there's no unforgiveness in your heart. Let's move on. Number three. <laughs> Fasting is engaged regularly by those who desire intimacy with Jesus. So verse 20 enforces that point. The days will come when the bridegroom will be taken away and then they will fast in those days. So if I want greater intimacy with the Lord Jesus, then... I will fast regularly. And I find for myself that when I am fasting, during the fast itself, there is no sense of intimacy at times. Now, there are times there are, but at times during the fast itself, I don't feel intimate at all. I'm irritable. I am, I am moody. I am hungry. My mind is occupied with food because I'm not eating. You know, I dream dreams of eating food, eating meat, eating cakes, and it's not a witchcraft banquet. This is fasting. <laughs> I know some of the Africans, when they, when they fast, when they sleep and they dream and they're eating food, they think they're being initiated into witchcraft. Me, I'm eating food in my dream. I'm eating chicken, not human flesh. I'm eating food. Yeah, that's it. But anyway, hallelujah. <laughs> when I'm fasting, I find I have these kind of dreams, food dreams. And there's nothing spiritual about it, just I need to eat. That's what the body is telling me. But after the fast, after the fast, I find as the days go by, it becomes easier to pray. The word becomes fresher. The things of the spirit become easier to access. Fourth point, fasting empowers us to rid ourselves of our old spiritual garment in order for it to be replaced by new. Verse 21 says, No one sews a piece of unshrunk cloth on an old garment, or else the new piece pulls away from the old, and the tear is made worse. You see, when we fast, literally we are affecting the way our spirit is shaped. And we are affecting what we can accommodate. And what we can't accommodate. And that's why there are certain things you find. There are certain desires, certain lusts, certain unclean things. That as you fast, they become dulled. And then sometimes as you fast, some things will actually leave you. Other times as you fast, those things are heightened. Because they're surfacing. And they can now be kicked out of your life. And it's important you understand that. So fasting empowers us to rid ourselves of our old spiritual garments, things, and at, you're at a certain level, and you are hampered by that level. And so when you fast, it breaks, it breaks that freedom. There's a young guy in our church, 
There is a young guy in that church who, who fasted for 21 days on water. And when he finished the fast, he was quite disappointed. He didn't feel that much has happened. But the other day I was talking to him, and he was saying to me how every day he now feels God's presence. Every day. So for him, it's not, he, he, he doesn't even think it's a big deal anymore. Of course, it's a massive deal. He feels the manifest presence. He says, I, I feel this heat on me all the time. Spiritual central heating. Hallelujah. Because that, what the fasting did is the fifth point. It enlarges our spirit to receive the new wine of the Holy Spirit's outpouring. You see, like what Frida saw and what different ones see is what is actually going on in the spiritual realm. But we can't see it. But when our spiritual eyes are open, we're able to have a little glimpse, just a little glimpse of the reality of the spirit world. In the same way, when we fast, what is already ours that we, can't, we haven't accessed, our fasting enlarges our spirit to be able to now access it. Now it's there, but it's just that your spirit is dulled. So for instance, I was talking with Pastor John, and you're saying to me, when he's going to preach, he doesn't eat because that's how he prepares himself. And uh, that's amazing. And, um, <laughs> and I said, me, that's not how it works. <laughs> it's when I am preparing to minister, that's when I don't eat. Once I'm prepared, I can eat as much as I like. Mm. But the reason is, Different things, different, different strokes, different folks. But for me, what it is, is when I eat, I feel a bit downed in some areas. Um, and so when I'm preparing, my mind needs to be a lot sharper. You see, the blood needs to be concentrated here and not there. You see. But what I'm trying to say is that what fasting does is it allows your spirit to be able to now access. What's already there? What's already yours? The grace of God that is already upon your life. Amen. So for some of us, when we fast, we may never prophesy like, say, Bishop McLean. But we may actually activate our graces like, let's say, Reverend Dompre. For another, we may never stand behind the pulpit but we may become geniuses behind the camera. The fasting allows us to access the grace that God has placed upon us. It enlarges our spirits to receive what's already ours. Our Lord says, no one puts new wine into old wineskin or else the new wine bursts into the, burst the wineskin. The new wine is spilled and the wineskins are ruined. New wine is put into new wineskin. And I'm telling you, as we're praying for this outpouring of the Holy Spirit, as we go back to our different places, I want to encourage you in your secret history with God to add fasting to it. Now, the fasted life affects key areas of ministry, key areas. It affects every area, but these key areas are very important. First of all, it affects our worship, and I'll qualify what I mean by that. Secondly, it affects our prayer life. And thirdly, it affects the word the word that we carry. And beloved, every one of you carries a word from God. You may not realize it, but you carry a word from God. 
Now, each of these areas of ministry act as forerunners to revealing Jesus to us. So, in the area of worship, in the area of prayer, and in the area of the word, these vehicles are what God uses to reveal his son, our Lord Jesus, to us. This is the vehicle that the Holy Spirit uses through which we come to know more of the Lord. And you see types of this in the old, and in, under the Old Testament. Um, David is a type of this. Anna is a type of this. John the Baptist is a type of this. All of these are Old Testament saints. And all of these saints, their, their life and their ministry were shadows or spoke a message about the coming Messiah, about Jesus. Um, now, the reason why you need to appreciate this is that in your area of worship, in the area of prayer, and in the area of the word, these are the key areas that you will regularly engage in as a child of God as you learn to walk with God and express his power. Now, what do I mean by worship? In one sense, everything that we do is worship. Everything is worship. Even what I'm doing right now is worship. Because worship is giving God the worth due to him. So in one sense, everything is worship. But when I say worship, I am specifically referring to praises, blessings, adoration, and thanksgiving. That's often when we say worship, that's what we mean. But actually, that's an aspect of worship because everything that we do is worship. In Psalm 22, verse 3 to 5, just verse 3 really, but it's good to read 4 and 5. He says, but you are holy, enthroned in the praises of Israel. Our fathers trusted in you. They trusted and you delivered them. They cried to you and were delivered. They trusted in you and were not ashamed. You are enthroned in the praises of your people. What does that mean? It means that when we are adoring him, when we are blessing him, when we are declaring what he's like, when we are showing our appreciation for him, whether it's in song, whether it's in prose, whether it's in poetry, whether it's in the dance, when we are doing these things, whether it's in shout or clap, we are allowing him to be seated as king in our activity. In other words, we are prioritizing him. In other words, we are making him first. And so... Worship is a very, so when I talk about worship, that's what I'm referring to. So worship is a very important vehicle for us in experiencing more of Jesus. And when we are fasting and then we are adding worship to it, then that accelerates the process of allowing our spirit to connect quickly with our Lord Jesus As we fast and engage in worship of any kind, we position our spirits to receive more of our Lord Jesus' manifest presence. Another aspect of uh, praise is actually, or worship is actually silence. Even silence is part of it. There are other things we could say. Silence is part of it. You know, um, prostrating yourself on the floor, kneeling, sometimes certain actions. That's why your action is so important. That's why at times when you're fasting, you find that you can't say anything. Because actually, he doesn't want you to say anything. Because your silence 
is part of your worship. Your silence is saying, you are God. You are in charge. You are Lord. You are the boss. I've got nothing to say, but I'm looking to you. You're enthroned on the praises of your people. Our fathers trusted in you when you were enthroned in their praises. They trusted in you and you delivered them. When he's enthroned on your praises, it's because you are trusting in him. The act of enthroning him on your praises is an expression of faith. You are trusting in him. When you are doing, when you're praising him and giving him thanks, you are crying out to him. There's another way of crying out to him for deliverance. This is what happened with Jehoshaphat and co. When the enemy came in and the prophetic word said, go out and, and sing praises and so forth, when they did that, God was able to send ambushments against your enemy and deliver them. You will experience deliverance in Jesus' name. The second vehicle that I want to emphasize that empowers our fasting, or that fasting empowers, I should say, is prayer. That is our ministry in the house. So worship is our ministry to the Lord. But prayer is our ministry in his house, as part of his house. Prayer is part of... Prayer, worship, and the word is part of that Melchizedek order. That Melchizedek order of the king-priest function within the body of Christ. Where through our worship and through our prayer and through our words, we act as kings and we act as priests on the earth. But prayer is our ministry in the house of God. Anna, an Old Testament saint, is a forerunner of this. She was someone who gave herself to prayer um, because she was praying for Jesus to be revealed. Luke chapter 2, 36 to 38. We're going to be praying soon. It says, Now there was one Anna, a prophetess, the daughter of Phanuel, of the tribe of Asher. She was of a great age and had lived with her husband seven years from her virginity. And this woman was a widow of about 84 years who did not depart from the temple, but served God with fastings and prayers night and day. And coming in that instance, she gave thanks to the Lord and spoke of him to all those who looked for redemption in Jerusalem. Now, this woman dedicated her life after she lost her husband. She'd been married only for seven years, and then her husband died. You know, if it was some of us, we become bitter. She had no children. We become bitter. How can God do this to me? How can God allow this to happen to me? But this woman devoted 60 years of her life to prayer and fasting in the house. Why? Because she wanted to see Jesus. Under the Old Testament. And when we give ourselves to prayer and fasting because we want to see Jesus, you know what will happen? We will see Jesus. And Jesus will be seen through us. The scripture encourages us to continue earnestly in prayer. Continue earnestly in prayer. Being vigilant in it with thanksgiving, Colossians 4.2. I don't want to go into prayer. And then the third area I want to touch on is, uh, quickly, the 
um, area of the word. The fasted life through the vehicle of the word. And the word represents our ministry to the world. Our ministry to the world. That which we give to the world. Like we heard last night, Psalm 119 verse 130, the entrance of your words gives light. It gives understanding to the simple. Psalm 138.2, I will worship toward your holy temple and praise your name for your loving kindness and your truth. You have magnified your word above all your name. I am a strong believer that the word of God must have preeminence over everything that happens in his house. Everything. Remember what I said. Everything we do is worship. Everything we do is worship. Because the word has been magnified above everything else. The word has been magnified above everything else. Above even the name of Jesus. Why? Because the word expresses the name. Word expresses the name. And the word of God is what causes our character, the shape of the, our character to be formed. The word we hear will form your character. If a people are exposed to a certain kind of word, over time, they become that word. And that's why it's important to hear the word of God. The word was so important that it became flesh and dwelt among us and we beheld his glory. The glory as of the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth. After God spoke through his son, he doesn't speak through any... After he spoke through son, there is no other revelation beyond son. Because son is the word. Now, why am I saying this? Grace-empowered fasting coupled with feeding on the word empowers our spirit to release what God is saying to the world. And John the Baptist is a great type of this. In Luke chapter 1, 76 to 79, Zechariah, his father, is prophesying, and he says concerning John, And you, child, will be called the prophet of the highest, for you will go before the face of the Lord to prepare his ways, to give knowledge of salvation to his people by the remission of their sins. Through the tender mercy of our God, which, with which the day spring from on high has visited us to give light to those who sit in darkness and the shadow of death to guide our feet into the way of peace. Now, what John was, he's a type of what we are supposed to be like for the world. We are supposed to be the prophet of the highest to our world. We are supposed to go ahead of him and make his way straight for those people who come to know him so that through us they come to a saving knowledge of Jesus and you see John he lived a fasted life he lived a fasted life in order for him to be able to fulfill this assignment and what I want to encourage you is that as you live that fasted life you make yourself available for God to speak through you amen so in conclusion, there are so many other benefits, secondary benefits to fasting. When you give yourself to live in a fasted life, there are the side benefits of your health. There are the side benefits of your health. 
there are the side benefits of an increased level of breakthrough over your life. And I'm going to read in conclusion Isaiah 58, 1 to 12, which really highlights the benefits of fasting regardless of what type. And then we're going to pray. There's some instructions I've received from the Holy Spirit that I want to follow. He says in Isaiah 58, Cry aloud and spare not. Lift up your voice like a trumpet. Tell my people their transgression and the house of Jacob their sins. Yet they seek me daily and delight to know my ways as a nation that did righteousness and did not forsake the ordinance of their God. They ask of me the ordinances of justice. They take delight in approaching God. Why have we fasted, they say, and you have not seen? Why have we afflicted our souls and you take no notice? In fact, in the day of your fast, you find pleasure and exploit all your laborers. Indeed, you fast for strife and debate and to strike with the fist of wickedness. You will not fast as you do this day. These were people who were fasting, but with the wrong motivation. They were fasting, but they were doing it for the wrong outcomes. Is it a fast that I have chosen? A day for a man to afflict his soul? Is it to bow down his head like a bulrush and to spread out sackcloth and ashes? In other words, do you really think that God is interested in the externals? You looking gloomy and moany and looking like you are really depressed and things are horrible for you because you are fasting? like Joseph used to do when he was younger. Would you call this a fast, an acceptable day to the Lord? Look at this. Is this not the fast that I have chosen? To lose the bonds of wickedness, to undo the heavy burdens, to let the oppressed go free, that you, you break every yoke. Wow. Can you imagine that you decide, that situation in your family that has been there for years, you decide to couple it with fasting. He said, is it not to share your bread with the hungry? And that you bring your house, you bring to your house the poor who are cast out. Can you imagine if our fasting was really real, right? And we decided the food that we are going to eat for the next three weeks, we're going to give it all to food bank. See, we're going to give food to food bank, but we're going to eat. <laughs> There's nothing wrong with that. I'm just saying, look at the way you're looking at me. What, what's this man saying? I'm, not say, I'm just saying, what you, oh Lord. I'm just saying that what you were saying is that go without food so that others can eat. You know, that's, that's the kind of fast that he says I take pleasure in. That you're denying yourself so that others can benefit, even on the natural. He says... When you see the naked, that you cover him and not hide yourself from your own flesh. Look at 8. Then your light shall break forth like the morning. Your healing shall spring forth speedily. And your righteousness shall go before you. There was a man, I think his name, I'm not going to mention his name. But there was a man who um, was debating with some people about whether Jesus fasted. He was a, I think he was a doctor of some kind. Whether Jesus fasted 40 days on water or not, because they were saying it was impossible. So he decided, he was a believer, he decided he was going to fast for 40 days on water. And he started fasting. And so they would, they would, they would um, weigh him and all of that. When he finished the fast, certain things happened in his body. His gray hairs started going black again. 
He started getting strength. And one thing about fasting, after you finish fasting, your body corrects many things, especially, I'm not talking about uh, you missed a meal fast. I mean, that's great, but your body won't correct much with that. Or even a day, a day, or even three days. But if you do like, say, 21 days, which I've never done on water, I've done 21 and broken every even, but not 21 on water, I've never done that. I am believing that before I die, maybe we might. But let's move on quickly. (laughs) (laughs) But um, something's correct in your body. Certain things will correct. So so he proved that Jesus could have fasted for 40 days. But when he did it, his body also corrected things. It, It changes even the aging process. You know, when people fast, they actually become younger looking. Not whilst they're fasting, after they, after they fast. Yeah. Anyway, let's move on. I don't know if you like what I'm saying, the way you are, the way you're looking at me. All right, it says, it says, your healing shall spring forth speedily, your righteousness shall go before you. The glory of the Lord shall be your rear guard. Then you shall call, and the Lord will answer. See, then, after you fasted, you shall cry. And he will say, here I am. And he goes on to tell you all the other kinds of benefits. So, beloved, I just want to encourage you to a fasted life. It's one of the keys. It's not the only answer. There are so many keys in the kingdom that empowers us to victory. But it is one of the keys that empowers us to victory. Certainly, by the grace of God, I know that there are things in my life that are there because of the grace of a fasted life. And I want to tell you, and I want to encourage you to press into that. There are no shortcuts to walking with open heavens over your life. Now, in Christ we have open heavens. But to appropriate or to experience it, there are things that we do that allows what's already ours to be ours. I want every head bowed and every eye closed. We're going to pray. Now, I, I don't want you to make any rash decisions here. And that's why I said to you, I want to encourage you to come back to this teaching prayerfully and ask the Holy Spirit, how do you want me to approach this? But perhaps you are here and you're saying you feel the Spirit's prompting already for you to go into a fasted life. You say, how long? I don't know. I'm not saying you should do it for the rest of your life. You can I'm not saying you should, it's just between you and God, but you feel like you want to embark on this. How it looks like is between you and the Holy Spirit. If that is you, I want to pray for you because this is my first instruction. But don't stand unless you are feeling that prompting in your spirit too. All right? You don't have to rush into this. So if that is you, stand where you are because I want to pray with you. But don't stand simply because of the pressure of the room here. Um, what you can do is afterwards you go back and you just pray into it. But if in your spirit you're getting that clear prompting where you feel like, okay, Lord, I get it. It's like a light bulb has switched on in your heart and you realize this is the key that is missing in my journey so far. Stand where you are quickly. Don't look at anyone. Just stand where you are. As you stand, raise your hands to the Lord. And why don't you just, in your own way, just consecrate that area 
Just tell him, Lord, I believe you're calling me into a fasted life. Just tell him. And Lord, and I'm saying yes. I'm saying yes. Thank you, Holy Father. Father, I pray for these precious ones that are standing. I thank you for their life. I thank you for what you've done in them at this conference. Lord, I am asking for a fresh oil. That oil that was being poured out. Let it be extended towards these even now. That grace will be afforded to them to enter into that fasted life you have ordained for them. In Jesus' name, amen.